LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. Hey everybody, welcome to Ask Me Anything. I'm Matt Love. I'm here with Pastor J.D. Greer. And uh, J.D., last time on the podcast we talked about, um, we just kind of went through some of the major arguments that that pro-choice people tend to make and, and mm-hmm. kind of walked through some of your responses to those things. This week we kind of wanted to go a little bit more, uh, on, look at the other side a little bit. And so the question is, what does it mean, really, to be pro-life? Yeah, Matt, a legitimate criticism that a lot of people make about certain pro-life Christians is that the only thing they seem to care about is the life of the unborn, that they show little regard for um, people suffering afterwards, um, the rights of oppressed groups, whether they're immigrants or um, just pe- groups that are denigrated, that you don't care about poverty. That's a legitimate question, that if you really do care about justice and care about life, you will be pro-life from the womb to the tomb, and you'll care about human flourishing everywhere. And, and by the way, if I could just say this— um, Christians have always cared about this. I feel like that's a trope that gets thrown out as if Christians on the whole only care about the the birth uh, issue. Um, but that's not a fair reading of of Christian involvement in the past or you know even today. Since 1973, for example, when Roe versus Wade made abortion legal, for every one abortion clinic in America, Christians have built three pregnancy centers to assist women in crisis because they care about not just the, the unborn baby, they care about the mother. Um, the, the, these crisis centers help people buy groceries, help young mothers get housing, whatever else they need. If you go into foster services and, and adoption agencies, the, you'll find that the group that is most represented statistically are pro-life Christians. Christians have built more hospitals around the world than any other single group. I've heard it said that even today, the church is the number one health care provider in the world. Um, For a long time in sub-Saharan Africa, there was not a single hospital that hadn't been built by a Christian mission. Um, So don't believe that tired trope that followers of Jesus only care about the pre-born. It's just not true. And a lot of people use that to justify, um, to excuse the fact that they're virtually silent about the tragedy of abortion. You see, Matt, it's it's hard to say that you're pro-life from the womb to the tomb if you're apathetic when the womb is a tomb. Because children in the womb right now in our society, that is the only place where it is legally justified to take their lives. One of the reasons we say it's the greatest moral crisis of our day is, is not that it's the only place where people are suffering, but where else is there that, that, that on the law books right now, it is a state-sanctioned justification for killing the life of a preborn, um, a preborn human being. We talked last time about how the preborn are people. Um, and in 2018, 42 million babies worldwide were slaughtered in the womb. That's, that's, that's seven Holocaust in a single year. Um, pastor Thabiti Anyabwile, um, who's an African-American brother, pastor, friend, he says, it's staggeringly clear that the largest scale injustice, the most morally outrageous thing happening in our society today is the killing of children in the womb. Um, it's even, if you want to talk about systemic injustice, when you look at, at especially the, the origins of Planned Parenthood, how they targeted low-income and um, specifically black communities and said that we're going to make abortion plenteous there so that we can eliminate this problem in the future, the problem of, of black poverty. And that is a systemic injustice directed at a particular race of people. Um, if you want to stand against systemic injustice, it's not the only place it shows up, certainly, um, but that is a place that we should bring our our 
our clearest gospel vision and our, and our most fervent advocacy. Um, I'll also say this, Matt, to be consistently pro-life, you need to, to, to want to change the law. I'm not trying to say here that you're only voting Republican, but I'm saying whether you're Democrat or Republican, you have to want to change not just the culture, but the laws. And sometimes people say, well, it doesn't matter if we change the law. Abortions happen just as much with pro-life justices and under the leadership of pro-life presidents as they do under pro-choice ones. So we got to work on the system of poverty around it that creates the need for abortion. Um, and I would say, absolutely, we need to work on the system around that. Uh, around that. Um, what that doesn't take into um, consideration, though, is a couple things. One is um, a lot of abortions happen by rich people also. A, 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 in fact, a very high percentage. You also have to acknowledge that the counting has gotten very skewed because there's been the development of some drugs the day after pill yeah. that are abortion efficient, which means they kill the, the the baby. They're not stopping pregnancy; they're killing the yeah. um, the baby after after it's been conceived. And those are not counted in the numbers anymore. So you can't just compare numbers twenty years yeah. and say they've gone down because you're, you're not counting the same things. A total of more babies um, are being killed when you bring into consideration the use of those drugs. It's also, I would just say, really short-sighted. I mean, we're dealing with a forty-seven-year question, and you know it, that that's too big to really pick trends out uh, about you know pro-life presidents and yeah, non. Yeah, yeah. Um, how many lives would be saved if we truly, as a society, acknowledge the value of the pre-born and made it illegal to take their lives? There's no question that it wouldn't. It would have a long-term effect of, of saving lives. Most importantly, we oppose Roe versus Wade because it is an inherently unjust law. In 1973, we codified into law a constitutional right to kill an innocent human child. As long as that law is on the books, we live in an inherently unjust country, codified systemic injustice, no less unjust than when we had a stipulation in our Constitution that African-Americans counted as only three-fifths of a human. In order to arrive at our more perfect union, that three-fifths compromise needed to be eradicated officially off the books. Because as long as it's on the books, we have an inherently unjust constitution. Roe versus Wade, in my view, is is that kind of injustice where as long as it's on the books, it's an inherently unjust constitution that we have to we have to remedy. The worst position, Matt, if I could say one more thing on this, is when somebody says, Well, I'm pro-life, but I think people ought to be able to choose for themselves. Because what that shows me is that you actually understand the preborn baby as a person. Yeah. And that's why you're pro-life, but you think it should be okay for somebody else to kill a human as long as you don't have to do it. It, to me, it's it's better for somebody to say, I'm pro-choice all the way around. It's just a clump of sales. I'm going to get rid of it um, than to say, I understand it's a person, but I, 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 I value your right to kill that person. That doesn't make any sense. So, J.D., that was like a, a good, um, I think, as a broad overview of kind of what that looks like, what is being pro-life looks like. I know a lot of people listening to this, it's like they're going to, they're asking the question, what does that require me? What are some like practical ways? What can I do? to really be pro-life on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, well, you know, to quote my friend Pastor Thabiti again, um, Proverbs 31 tells you how to respond to any kind of injustice. Proverbs 31.8 says, Speak up for those who have no voice. What better description of the preborn could there be than those who have no voice? I mean, literally nobody hears their screams when they're, when they're slain in the womb. We know they feel pain because through microscopic cameras, we can see them flinch when they're injected with, with the poison. We see their, 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 their little heartbeat spike as they're, as they're killed, we just don't hear their voices. Some of them are old enough that if they were just six inches further out of the womb, we could hear them and we could hear their screams. But because they're left in the womb when their life is taken, we, we don't hear them. So I think what, what's, what, what the writer of Proverbs 31, what scripture says is the first obligation is to speak up 
speak up. You have to to speak for those who have no voice, whether that comes in the form of talking to your friends about it or or being involved in things like the March for Life. Um, there, there, there are multiple ways of speaking up. It should be an issue that all Christians talk about, regardless of where you come down in other political questions. We ought to be vocal and united in frequently speaking up for um, before the lives of the preborn. Martin Luther King uh, Jr. said this in regards to racial injustice. He says, our lives begin to end the day that we become silent about things that matter. Silence is support, so we have to to speak up. By the way, if I could just say something to those listening to the podcast, um, I, I, I would hope that even some of you listening to this would seriously and prayerfully consider whether God might be leading you to, um, to go into government um, in order to be able to take on this cause and causes like these. We need godly people in both political parties that advocate for this. It's like I said, this shouldn't be a partisan issue, much like care for the refugee or respect for the immigrant. It shouldn't be partisan issue e- either. Um, I don't care what your political party is. All Christians should be united in seeing the removal of this scourge from, from our land. So, so I would say want to speak up. Number two, Proverbs 31 tells you the, the, the scope of the responsibility is, like we said at the beginning, from the womb to the tomb. And so we should see you advocating not just for the, the pre-born, but also for people in, um, in poverty or injustice anywhere. Um, at our church, we've got more than 10 ways that you can get involved around this issue. Uh, some of it's helping the mother, some of it's uh, adoption and fostering, some of it's, there's just, there, there are 10 different ways you can get involved if, if you really care about this issue. And so um, get involved and, and do what God has, has called you to do. Um, teach your kids, teach your kids to care about this. One of the things that, that, that the writer of, of Proverbs 31 shows you is that he learned to care about justice issues from his mother. This is what his mother taught him. So teach your kids that um, caring, speaking up for the vulnerable at any level, particularly Right now, those in the womb, that's the most vulnerable place in our country. Um, that it's our responsibility to speak up and to quote um, Edmund Burke, that the only thing that is necessary for the progress of evil in the world is for good people to, to do nothing. Hmm. So do something. That's good. So, J.D., that's that's great, and I think some of the things you just shared are really helpful. I know for you, you actually had a very like personal, specific example of how this has played out for you, and I would just love it if you would share yeah, that. Yeah, it's one of my it's one of the sweetest stories I've had in ministry. Um, it was a few years ago, probably three years ago, just on a Sunday morning, I got up and talked about both the injustice of abortion and also God's care for the woman um, that was considering abortion or his forgiveness and his willingness to restore those who had had, had made that uh, mistake. So I didn't know this, but there was a, a young lady sitting in our one of our campuses. She was a UNC Chapel Hill student, and she was found that she was pregnant. And she had already been scheduled for an abortion. I think it was that afternoon. God just really used the service to um, draw her to himself, and so she canceled the appointment. She gave up the baby for adoption. I didn't find out anything about this story until about a year later. This family who had adopted this little girl um, walked into my office with this baby, told me this story and said, because I had spoken up, this little girl's life was saved. If you can think about the fact that we're not just advocating for politics, we're not just we're not being culture warriors, we're actually speaking up to save lives. And if we could look into the future and see some of these people to see some of these people and see like what they became and how God used them, then it becomes less a. A, a, a statistical culture problem, yeah. and it becomes more about about saving an individual. Each of these babies are individuals made in the image of God that deserve the rights and the protection that God gives to the vulnerable, and they have souls just like yours and mine, and um, they're every bit as valuable as, as you or me. 
That's good. So speak up and offer help. Those are two good directions, and that's an amazing story. Well, if you enjoy this podcast, we would recommend that you also check out some of the other Lifeway Leadership podcasts. Um, there is the One Thing podcast. Uh, it's hosted by Scott Sanders and Derek Hanna. Uh, they've recently uh, talked about things like leading change, implications of COVID, and how to run online meetings. Um, just look up the One Thing on your favorite podcasting app and subscribe. And then if you enjoyed our podcast, we would definitely encourage you to briefly rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. just helps other people enjoy it. And if you enjoy it, they probably will too. If you enjoy kind of some of this content and some of the things that you hear from Pastor JD, he actually just wrote a book, What Are You Going to Do With Your Life? Um, that we would recommend you check out. It's it, uh, in the book. He talks about God's plan for making your life count for eternity and considers Jesus' radical call to give your life away to the greatest cause of all. If you're interested in that, go check it out at whatareyougoingtodowithyourlife.com. And that is it. We'll see you next time on Ask Me Anything.